Hey everybody, Neil Blackman here. Um, I just want to thank everybody that's listened to uh, Florida Basketball Hour over the last year. Uh, we we made it to uh, 50,000 listeners in one year, which for an exclusively basketball podcast is pretty exciting. Um, thanks to everybody who's left the ratings at um, the Apple Podcast Review uh, or left us hard on Spotify or sent us feedback. Uh, a couple of the most recent ones. I got five stars from Jesus Holmes, who says, if you follow Gator Hoops and aren't listening to Florida Basketball Hour, what are you doing? Uh, thank you. Um, from great UF alum 88, says, great Gator podcast. These two guys provide the best analysis you can find regarding Gator basketball. Uh, if you're a Gator basketball fan, this is the one and only podcast you need. And uh, DJ Mac 357 five stars, long overdue. Florida's more than just a football school. I'm actually happy to hear a podcast dedicated to the team I love, playing the sport I love. Incredible insight every show with the occasional good guest. We're trying to work on the occasional good guest part, um, have more guests for you guys. Uh, so hopefully we can do that when the season gets going, which is now uh, Tuesday night. So everybody, thanks for listening. Enjoy this show. We're going to talk about Florida's win over Lynn University in their uh, exhibition game. We'll preview the UNF matchup to kick off the season November 5th. And obviously, um, you know, everybody that's going to Jacksonville, enjoy your drive. Have a safe trip. And uh, go Gators. Let's beat Georgia. All right, y'all. Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I'm Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South. I am with Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Uh, we have basketball to talk about, don't we, Eric? Yeah, we certainly do. It was uh, it was good to see. Uh, uh, you know what? It was actually ended up to be a pretty good game. I mean, shout out to uh, to Lynn University and uh, you know, especially Jordan Allen. But uh, uh, that was a good basketball team, and it made for uh, for actually a really good exhibition where uh, some of the ones in the past have, have not been so. Uh, but it was just an awesome look, obviously, to uh, to be able to see all these new Gators together. Yeah, I'm Jordan Allen. Was uh, that guy was not afraid. No, uh, it, 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 I mean, it didn't take long for him to uh, to cuss out the Rowdy Reptiles who, uh, you know, the Rowdies were also in midseason form. That's for sure. Yeah. They, shout uh, which to the was, Rowdies. Honestly, shout out to them. I mean, it seemed like it was a conference game. So uh, uh, it's just so cool that, you know, Florida has that kind of uh, support for them. But uh, but yeah, Jordan Allen wasn't scared. He was giving it to them. Uh, the student section was giving it to Jordan Allen. And uh, uh, yeah, so it, it had a, it had a feel of a game that was, you know, more than uh October exhibition. You know, one thing that's kind of fun about this stuff is like, we've seen some of this where, where, um, you know, these, these little schools, uh, give some trouble to, to teams. You know, we saw with Duke, we saw Georgetown get a Georgetown college, uh, get an early lead on Kentucky for about eight minutes. You know, so, it's not like I mean Lynn was what in the Sweet Sixteen of the Division Two tournament, so you know they they've got some players. Yeah, I mean uh, that Northwest Missouri State team that uh, that beat uh, or sorry not didn't beat that came really close to beating Duke. I mean they dominate Division Two. Uh, they've been in like five Final Fours in Division Two in the last like ten years or something, and um, and even the team that Florida played uh, Lynn. Uh, you obviously see Jordan Allen, who is a player who um, uh, he's a uh, I think, yeah, he's like a redshirt junior. So, I mean, an older player. He averaged 10 points at Ryder last year. 
Um, he was obviously a good player. They had a few, they had two other Division One transfers, and I mean, uh, I noticed this when I looked up and down their roster for for a little preview. I did at Gator Country and saw that uh, you know they've got guys from some of the top JUCOs um, like Daytona State College, and they have a player from Oldsmar Christian from a high school recruit. So uh, they've got a couple high school recruits that are right from the same kind of um, high school powerhouses that a lot of Division One teams get their guys, including the Gators. Um, they have players that compete. Um, it's in the top JUCOs where, you know, the same league that Florida just went and got Osifo. So, uh, yeah, really good team. And uh, it just is a reminder just like how much good basketball there is and how much good basketball there is even uh, even past Division One. So uh, really cool to see them. And, hey, if you're in Boca around the area, you uh, you want to catch some basketball on a, a, a day the Gators aren't playing. Uh, uh, hey, I would go, I would go to a, go to a Lynn game. Yeah, no, I just realized that like FAU with Dustin May, obviously, you know, I, I caught a game up there last year, and, and now maybe I need to add Boca to my uh, my list of 20-minute <laughs> of drives for, for hoops junkie uh, fixes. Because, um, yeah, Jordan Allen was fun to watch. Florida wins 89-71. Um, you know, we're going to get into the game first and second half. Just kind of from the Florida standpoint, what was your kind of bird's eye view? Uh, bird's eye view was, uh, they have a lot more offensive creators than they did last year. Um, <laughs> and that's super, obviously really good to see, uh, just to see that the way that the ball moved, um, I, I thought that, uh, there was also a lot of, uh, uh, different actions than I thought that we saw, uh, last year. It was, it was mostly motion. I, I would say I saw, um, I don't know what you would say you saw Neil, but I, but I also saw them do a lot more different things out of their motion, um, including, um, uh, you know, this this was your half to cover, but in the first half, uh, Noah Locke got an open three um, out of this like split action where they threw the ball into the post, and then him and uh, Keontae Johnson ran a split action that's very very similar to what Golden State has done uh, the last you know four years, and it was something we we hadn't seen, and it had Keontae Johnson cutting towards the hoop, which is obviously a major threat. Uh, they go to stop that, and then Noah Locke pops out for an easy three, and it was something that was very simple basketball, but uh, but obviously very effective. But it was something I don't think I noticed last year, so. Uh, to see just little actions like that, it just the offense just looks looks a lot more advanced. Yeah, no, um, it, it did, it did. I, I would agree with that. Um, you know, definitely some. <laughs> they actually had guys that looked like they were going to be relatively efficient on the on the slip and roll in particular too. Uh, got a really nice a really nice one for Omar Payne, um, where I thought. I was kind of impressed that he set the screen properly and then was able to roll to the basket for the dunk. Uh, that was, you know, that's nice. I, I know they coached that at Montverde, but you know, it's still, it's still good to see him do that in his first exhibition game instead of like get called for a foul for, for moving. Um, and I think he did have one offensive foul on a screen. So they take the good with the vet, but obviously a little action that, that I sent you via a DM with uh, Keontae Johnson, where they really were able to exploit his ability as a passer, get Kerry Blackshear on the slip and roll to the basket. That kind of stuff is is stuff that they just didn't really have the capability of doing that much last year. And even when they tried to do it with Kavarius Hayes, we all lamented the hands issues. Yeah, it was interesting to see uh, just how much more involved the ball screen was. And it wasn't just, you know, Andrew Nemhart uh, and, and Kerry Blackshear. Like you said, they had... Uh, they had Keontae Johnson as the ball handler uh, running yeah. a screen and roll with with uh, with Kerry Blackshear, which turned into a very nice pass from Keontae Johnson to uh, to Kerry Blackshear open layup. And uh, uh, obviously, you've got uh, you've got Andrew Nemhart, but then you also have 
you also have Trey Mann running screens. And I think you've also got a couple different screeners where, like you were saying, there was some <laughs> lamenting about Kavarius Hayes' hands. But, um, you know, you have Blackshear as a screener. Um, Omar Payne looked really good as a screener. Uh, Jatobo just sets massive, devastating screens just because he's so wide. Uh, and, uh, you know, I don't... I don't think I saw it, but hey, if you wanted to run a Keontae Johnson as a screener, you could certainly do that. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how much more of the screening role gets back in the offense, where uh, uh, where we really wasn't there last year, and, I, and it wasn't there for what I think is a good reason. And I think um, you know I we don't have to get into this too much, I guess, but uh, I actually think that screener roles are are overused in basketball a, a lot of times, and it was kind of nice, and that the Florida didn't use them a ton last year. Um, but now that they've got so many options, it'll be interesting to see if they, they go rely on it quite heavily or if they, um, yeah, if they just kind of sprinkle it in from time to time or, or in a late clock situation. Yeah. And I thought that's what it was, um, the other night, I thought it was definitely more of a, more of something they sprinkled in rather than something they were trying to do every possession. And, you know, I think, I think you're right. Uh, it's just nice that they have options on that play because last year, uh, as we've talked about on this podcast, Florida was really one of the worst role teams in in the Power Six. Yeah, they just didn't really have the personnel for it, and uh, it, it'll also, you know, one thing I, I'm interested in your take about this, Neil. But um, we also saw Lynn sprinkle in some zone, which was uh, which was really good. They had a few different zone looks, uh, but how much zone do you think Florida is going to see this year? Because because uh, Florida saw a lot last year. Um, which uh, you maybe didn't, some people didn't expect just because Florida didn't have, you know, a lot of times you play zone defense to try to protect the paint and you're kind of saying like, Hey, we'll give up some jump shots. Uh, but Florida saw a lot of zone where teams, uh, you know, Florida wasn't a team that threatened you that way, but they, uh, they knew Florida was just going to move with the ball around the perimeter um, and look for three point shots. And they still played zone and just extended it a little bit, a little bit more. So uh, I'm interested in you. Know, how much, uh, how much zone do you think Florida is going to see this year? Do you think they'll see a lot? Do you think they'll see a little kind of, what are your thoughts? Well, it's one game. So I thought possession length in the first half, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit was shorter for Florida, uh, particularly when Trey Mann was in the game. Um, and remember, Florida was like 291st in the country in possession length last year. Uh, it's a number I wrote down. So I thought that when you play that slow, it kind of disincentivizes zone to some extent because sometimes you do it like Florida did, which is like they switched to that 13 zone just to slow Florida down, I thought. Yeah, and it was uh, it was it was good to see in an exhibition. Those are the things you want to see. But uh, it was also, also like just good to see that Florida, when they saw a zone, um, they're able to move the ball pretty well and, yeah. and, and exploit it. And that's just, you know, what, what comes from having uh, multiple ball handlers. Cause even last year in some of the lineups Florida had on the floor, um, you, you know, especially with the zone, obviously you could say all basketball, but especially against the zone, like you, you need multiple playmakers cause uh, a zone is going to stack the strong side of the floor and, and take away Andrew Nampard and his, his passing ability. So it needs to be like, Hey, someone passes it to someone else who gets a quick swing to another playmaker. And now kind of Florida had that when it was Trey man on the opposite side of the floor is Andrew Nemhart with Keontae Johnson or sorry. Yeah. Kerry uh, Blackshear in the middle and Keontae Johnson in the corner. And uh, they got some really good looks out of zone. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and I, you know, so I think, um, I, I think that, you know, we'll definitely see it some more this year though. Cause I think defenses are going to, just I mean, you you already alluded to it. Like Florida has more ways, far more ways to stress defenses, and oftentimes the reason that you play and and mix in zones is you're just trying to find something that that slows somebody down. 
Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see as well with the uh, with the new coaches. I mean, uh, in, in the SEC at least, like uh, like Eric Musselman didn't really play zone at all in Nevada. Um, I I don't think Buzz Williams. I, I actually looked this up and I forget, but I don't I don't think Virginia Tech played a lot of zone. Um, there's a little bit of zone from uh, uh, from Buffalo with Nate Oates, but I think it was when I watched them play, it was a little bit more of like almost like a matchup a match a man kind of zone where they were just looking to trap out of it. So it wasn't a true, like, Hey, let's go three, two or two, three or one through one and, uh, and set up that way. So, uh, that'll be interesting to see what, how teams react to Florida, because if they, if Florida is able to just play man, uh, get into some of their motion sets and, and, and exploit one of the weaker matchups or just go to ball screens. Uh, it'll be interesting if teams just say, Hey, we're going to, uh, uh we're going to play a two, three zone and just not let you ball screen us to death. Yeah, no, that's true. So let's let's get into the first half. Um, so the way that we're going to do this uh, is we're going to try this at least for a few games, and if y'all hate it, let us know. But basically, one of us is going to take uh, notes on the first half, which I'm going to be the first half guy, and then Eric's going to get the money minutes in the second half. Um, and basically, you know, it, it's not going to be just me talking, but we're going to work off my first half notes, and then we'll work off Eric's second half notes. So you guys know why like I'm initiating these conversations but I thought so just coming out in the first half uh Florida took two three-point jumpers from Noah Locke I didn't really like make a lot of notes about this other than to say you know that the shot looked good and the rotation was good again which it wasn't towards the end of last season and so I actually put a note down about that because it was so refreshing to see him look healthy yeah I actually thought his shooting stroke looked different um, I thought last year, I even went back to look at this after the game. I looked at some film from last year where I, I thought he got a lot more elevation on his jump shot last year. Like he really exploded, jumped high, uh, top of his leaf released. And he obviously it was a really pretty jump shot. Uh, but this year, uh, seeing him knock down those two threes at the beginning, it's a much easier, easier release where he's uh, kind of staying closer to the ground. It, it's quicker. And, and I think it's a little bit more of a repeatable stroke where, um, you, you see this in the NBA lots, uh, players that kind of have those quick releases where they stay close to the ground. It's, it's not, um, uh, it's not like big leaps where at the top of the jump they release. And, uh, I thought it was a very economical looking stroke from Noah Locke, but I, I did notice when he hit those threes, I'm like, man, this is a, this is a slightly looking stroke. And I mean, I, huh. I think it might even be a slightly better stroke, which is crazy to say from someone yeah. who's, who is elite. But, um, yeah, if you, um, you know, there's a, there's some really good highlights on, on YouTube of this game. There's also a super, super good condensed game that's like 18 minutes long. If you watch that and also go back and watch some some Noah Locke jump shots from last year, it's a it's a slightly different form, and uh, I I think it's I, I do think it's really good because when you study the best shooters, um, uh, not a lot of them have that big explosive leap into their jump shot. A lot of times, it's a nice nice easy release, which is also what Trey Mann has. Like I mean, uh, Trey Mann's release is so casual and so easy. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that was, I, the, I, so yeah, I guess I actually did have, <laughs> I did read into those two threes, Noah Lockett, but, uh, yeah, like you said, it was, it was nice to see him just healthy. Um, another thing people were kind of tweeting at us about before the game was the starting five. So oh. let me, let me get into this a little bit. Uh, first Scotty Lewis came in after two minutes and 20 seconds. Uh, so I don't think that there's really much for, for people to worry about in terms of like what Scotty Lewis's role and load is going to be. Second, Mike White changes his starting lineups frequently. He, he, and he has not just last year when he was trying to find something that worked, but really 
every season that he's been at Florida, with the exception of a couple months with with John Ikbunu, where they were just obliterating people, and there was really no point because they had Kenyon Barry off the bench for instant offense. Um, so, but other than that, in his four years, you know, he I I went out and charted, and and they they changed their lineups a lot more frequently than Donovan's last two teams did. So. I think that's kind of something that, that we should note. Florida did appear to start with offense, right, Eric, and then bring in Lewis, whether they think it's energy or they think defense first off the bench. Whatever it was, that's what they decided to do against Lynn. Doesn't mean they're going to do that against North Florida. Yeah, that's a, it's a little bit of a, a more classic kind of old school philosophy to do the uh, let's start with our best offensive players and then let's bring in that energy defensive guy. Uh, oftentimes, you know, old school coaches would do this and say like, hey, let's find out who on the other team is cooking and then we bring in our best perimeter defender to uh, to hound them, which, you know, is Jordan Allen in this case for Lynn. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I don't I don't think I don't you know what? I There's part of me that that looks a lot into it and part of me that does not look a lot into it. Like you said, um, White uses a lot of starting lineups. He, he always has. Uh, the one thing I will say, though, is when Florida's in a tight game um, on the SEC schedule, um, they're going to need multiple perimeter guys that can really make plays offensively. Their best free throw shooters on the floor. Um, and I, I look at how Florida is going to close games. And I really think their best lineup to close games is going to be the way that they started this game with, with Trey Mann in and, and Scotty Lewis out. And that's honestly a lot more of a, just me speaking highly of, of Trey Mann. Then it, it's not really taking anything away from Scotty Lewis. It's just like, um, when I see the last two minutes of uh, of a basketball game, I, I think that you know they probably are going to try to go offense defense a little bit and get yeah. Lewis in on those defensive possessions. Yeah. But um, but I really think if you were to say like, hey, you've got five, like if you were to throw it, you know, like let's say Florida's playing, you know, Auburn and it's a tie game at seventy nine with ninety seconds left, what five do you think Florida's going to have on the floor? I really think the best one is uh, the way Florida started with with Trey Mann in there. So uh, for that reason, you know, getting that unit starting maybe that I, and, and that could be reading way too much into it but uh um yeah i i just think hey like you said uh, scotty lewis got in quite quickly scotty lewis played a lot of minutes he's going to need to for it doesn't have many wing options um scotty lewis played great trey man played great so that's kind of all there is to it <laughs> uh the gators um also got to the foul line before the first media timeout so i went back and tracked all this because i'm a nerd and uh, that happened twice last season. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> Florida was last in the SEC, sixth worst in the Power Six and free throws per game last year. Somehow there were five teams that got in the Power Six that got to the line less than the Gators. Um, so sh- shout out to them for for accomplishing that. That's pretty remarkable. Um, and then Florida got to the line a ton in the second half, which I'm sure Eric's going to talk about the free throw shooting. But – what was interesting to me really was that almost from the, the beginning of the game, uh, we saw how White can run entire stretches of offense through Kerry Blackshear. And it doesn't really matter if Kerry's in the post or if he's out on the perimeter. And I know there's a lot to unpack there, Eric. But, but just from the, like, the broader view, uh, you kind of got this, this guy who appears to be a sudden pick-and-pop assassin. <laughs> and also don't forget that like if Florida does want to go inside out, he can be a real nightmare. So that's a really versatile thing to have. And Florida, quite frankly, just hasn't had that in the white era. 
Yeah, I, I would say the one thing that was interesting was I do think they used him uh, more on the perimeter um, than they did on the inside, and yeah. which is totally great. And, and because especially if Kerry Factory is going to shoot the ball so well, uh, but it was interesting to see because I thought, yeah, there's kind of two two options. Obviously, Florida could do they play him on the inside and go through him, or they play him on the uh, on the outside and kind of use him. And uh, one thing I thought was the it actually looked a lot more like Virginia Tech used uh, used Kerry Blackshear, which is. Uh, a really smart thing to do because they had tons of success with uh, with Kerry Blackshear. I mean, uh, I think I remember going on this podcast uh, right after Florida got Kerry Blackshear and and uh, talking about how I watched how Virginia Tech played basketball with Kerry Blackshear, and I hoped that Florida was going to steal a lot of what they did because they did really good stuff. Um, and one thing that I just really think is impressive about about Kerry Blackshear is he really is a willing passer. So when he was yeah. up there uh, on the perimeter, kind of the the pivot, looking straight on towards the hoop beyond the three point line. Uh, he was really challenging defenses with his passing ability. The ball wasn't sticking with him. Um, he just looked like like a fifth year veteran, like one of the best players in college basketball, uh, like someone who can really run an offense because uh, the ball didn't stick with him. He made the right decisions, um, and that's obviously pretty early in his time here at Florida. But it already looked like things were clicking well, so uh, really good to see. Yeah, two two kind of standout moments. We talked about just a simple slip and roll, but one you can initiate with Keontae Johnson, which is pretty devastating when you consider that that they have Andrew Nimhard and, and Trey Mann on the floor on that possession. Uh, the defense just just can't afford to slouch off man and certainly have to respect that the ball may go back to Florida's point guard. Um, the other one, that wraparound pass that Blackshear made to set up the early lock three, just not something that was really in Florida's arsenal last season. And an example of how Virginia Tech ran their offense to Eric's point, with Blackshear in the post. We didn't see that as much. It was interesting that Mike White said, eh, actually, we probably should have run things through the post a little more. He got out on the perimeter a little more than they wanted. Um, but, you know, I think some of that was like, that was their first full game speed with Kerry too. So, uh, But certainly after the Justin Robinson injury, Kerry spent a little less time on the perimeter than he did uh, – with Justin Robinson, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And Florida, yeah. Florida looked a little like that. Sorry. Oh no, I just I I mean, um, you know, especially the uh, the Mike White haters of the world. I mean, uh, if Florida plays a team that has you know their best center option is six foot nine and 220 pounds like Lynn, and um, if Florida's offense isn't working and uh, we don't have you know Kerry Blackshear just trying to play bully ball against a smaller player, you know the Mike White haters are <laughs> not going to be happy, but. Um, I, I do think the uh, uh, you look at just kind of modern offenses and um, yeah, just having if Kerry Blackshear plays seventy percent on the yeah. perimeter like that and and thirty percent um, kind of just yeah looking to to post up on the low block, um, I, I think that would be good. I mean, I, I really think like I know post ups are not super sexy nowadays, um, but the numbers of of Kerry Blackshear posting up last year are really really good and they are really, really efficient from a points-per-game standpoint. And uh, I, I don't think they should be um, kind of abandoned. And, yeah, in the second half, uh, Kerry Blackshear had a couple where, yeah, he got the ball down low, just bounce, bounce, uh, taken into the body of uh, Lynn's center, and he laid it in. Just simple, good basketball because he has good hands and he's big. So definitely, that, that definitely needs to be there for Florida. But um, also seeing the way that things worked with him on the perimeter – um, yeah, I thought it saw, thought it still looked good. And then it, the other thing too is when he plays on the perimeter like that, they have the options for those uh, those really quick screen and rolls where you know sometimes the ball goes into uh, or, or the dribble handoffs where the ball goes to carry Blackshear and uh, a player could run off him and get that 
uh, get that dribble handoff or he's already up there for a quick screen and roll versus like if Andrew Demhart walks up the floor, Kerry Blackshear's under the hoop, you know, puts his fist up to call for a ball screen and Kerry Blackshear sprints up and then you get into it. Uh, they'll be able to run things a little quicker in the half court this way. Yeah. No, uh, good stuff. That The next point I was going to make was on rotations. Uh, so what should I do first? Should I do the fun rotation that I liked the best or should I do the one that proves it was a scrimmage? <laughs> oh, probably the fun one, and then we can get into the less fun one. <laughs> uh, so the fun rotation was was, and uh, again, we're going uh, two straight pods with the Malik Grady shout out. But can we can we get into uh, <laughs> Florida playing three point guards and then Blackshear at the four and Omar Payne at the five? Because that was awesome. Yeah, that was that was a lineup that was effective for them, and uh, uh, I think we'll see. It. Hey, I love Quez Glover getting in the game right away. Yeah, uh, attack, attacking a closeout, which everyone knows is just my like favorite thing about basketball and offense, uh, and he gets to reverse layup. So hey. Good for him, and uh, uh, looks like this uh, this three point card thing is going to be a it's going to be a thing from time to time. Yeah, that was such a fun rotation. Uh, and and by the way, when they first went into it, the Gators get five quick points and two really easy stops. Yeah, I think. Well, that's what's interesting too. Is I mean, when you uh, uh, when you play small, I think like like ten years ago, if we were talking basketball, uh, and there was a team that played small and a team that played big. Uh, teams would look, you know, people would say, Hey, look at the team playing big. Uh, they're playing big. So they're really kind of focused on offense. And the team that plays small is really focused on, 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 or sorry, the team's playing, yeah, the play team that's playing big is focused on defense. The team that plays small is focused on offense where uh, nowadays, especially at the NBA level, but I think you see it at college too. Um, playing small is actually often a lot better for, uh, uh, for defense because you have the ability to defend on the perimeter and, and switch a little bit more with more speeds on the floor. Um, where it's like the big players are usually matchup guys for offense. Uh, so the fact that they got those quick, uh, quick stops, I, I think just with that speed on the perimeter really made sense. And also they have they had those mismatches on the offensive end where uh, you know Omar Payne was able to attack the glass and uh, Kerry Blackshear is just bigger than anyone who's going to be on the floor with them. And uh, yeah, so I, I, I did really like that lineup, just like you. Yeah, no, it was great. Um, so. The other, my other rotation point was uh, the rotation that proves it was a scrimmage, and this was uh, Florida going Jason Jatobo, Glover, Payne, Scotty Lewis, and Noah Locke. Um, here were their first three. Sorry, hold on. Yep, one, two. Here were their first three possessions on offense in that rotation. It was uh, offensive foul, travel. And turnover. So the league goes from uh, 10 points to five in one minute. They did get a breakaway dunk on the fourth possession, Eric. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, at what <laughs> points of this uh, first half or second half are we going to talk about the uh, the turnovers? Because I, I know some people uh, are certainly concerned about that. And uh, after turning the ball over a lot against uh, South Florida and now uh, now Lynn, I, I think it's worth talking about. So what are your uh, what are your thoughts on the turnovers tonight? Yeah, I mean, uh, the turnovers, you know, I think uh, I think the two areas where this team clearly has the longest way to go are turning the ball over, taking care of the basketball, and defense. Um, and, and I would be – I'm interested in your thoughts as to, like, I'm more concerned about turnovers because I trust culturally that this team will eventually defend at a really high level. I, I, honestly, for me, like, I've seen Mike White turn Igor Kulichev and – Jalen Hudson and undersized teams 
work really well defensively and get in the top 20. Um, I, I truly like think Mike White could take pretty much anyone and, and make a good defensive team. So I'm not <laughs> concerned about defense. Um, though, you know, I, I will say this, and, I, and I'm not trying to be hot takey or anything, but, but I, I actually didn't think Scotty Lewis was very good defensively at times. Um, and I was actually a little bit surprised by the amount of times that he got blown by off, off the dribble. Uh, there was one really early where um, he just got, you know, caught, the ball got caught on the wing. Um, that side was empty uh, and he just got beat really easily to the baseline and he laid it in before help could come. And there yeah. was a couple other times where, where I just was a little bit surprised that like, like Scotty, like I watching Scotty Lewis in high school, um, the reputation he has as a defender, I mean, he, like I, I just thought he was going to just, you know, just be such a lockdown guy. And uh, he still definitely could be, this is an exhibition. Um, but I just thought he was a little bit slow to react. Like, I, like, uh, especially any player, which like Lynn had some veteran guys, like this is not a bad team. And um, they had some veteran guys, but uh, a couple guys that just hit with a little bit of shift or deception to their game. And Scotty Lewis is just really slow to react to them. Like uh, it was really interesting too, because he even had, he had a play uh, that ended with a block, almost two plays, almost similar where he did get blown by off the dribble, uh, but then he recovered and blocked the shot because he's long and athletic. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's, he's just, uh, this, this showed that maybe he, you know, is not going to be the perimeter defender that at least right away that a lot of people expected. And Hey, maybe that's the reason he wasn't in the starting lineup, but, uh, so yeah, I, I definitely think he'll get there and his, his effort level is amazing. And I thought it was really good in the post game, um, where he talked about his own defense and he was not happy with how he played. Um, but yeah, what are your thoughts on the way Scott? Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't think he played that well, to be honest. I, I thought I thought he kind of had a tough night, um, especially on the defensive end. You you alluded to it. I thought I thought that he didn't get in. I thought he was kind of you know what I thought. I thought he was slow to get in guarding position. Yes, and I, and I thought it was costly to him on multiple time and multiple times. And I think freshmen sometimes do that when they know that they're athletic enough to compensate for that. And that's not really his rep. And also that's forget his rep. Like that's not what made him such an attractive prospect. Like it's the fact that he already played such good fundamental defense that elevated his stock from like a top 50 guy who's super athletic to a top 10 guy. It's totally true. And uh, the other thing as well is, uh, well, I can actually first, I'm going to talk about you the way that you mentioned that he wasn't always in a stance. Um, Very, it was very evident, especially there was one play on the second half, which I will say this is in the midst of Jordan Allen going nuclear. Um, (laughs) But there was this time where, um, you know, Jordan Allen, he would he would be uh, kind of in his crouch ready to run off the screen and and Scotty Lewis was in a crouch. And then, uh, you know, if he was uh, but but on this one play, uh, Jordan Allen was kind of in his crouch watching the ball move around the perimeter. And then he kind of like stood straight up, kind of like he was playing possum. Um, Scotty Lewis stood straight up and then Jordan Allen just took a quick first step, got around a screen and hit a three. Um, and just because Scotty Lewis was a step slow. And uh, again, that's a veteran kind of player, but uh, I did think it was a, not a major like miscue. And you know what, you know, a lot of players are not going to hit that sh- quick shot off the screen. And uh, then you're not talking about Scotty Lewis, but it was an example of what you were saying that uh, he didn't always look totally ready to defend. Um, and that's, that is interesting just because my thought was that he just really looked, looked slow to react off the dribble sometimes, which is kind of interesting that you could be a really good athlete. Um, but if you don't anticipate that first movement from the offensive player, um, then you're relying on your recovery ability, which Scotty Lewis has. So, uh, 
yes, definitely some, uh, that's, that's something to watch. And, uh, because that is what his kind of reputation is. And one thing that, you know, you were talking about him having a bit of a tough night. Uh, another thing that kind of alluded to that where, you know, you said, Hey, should we talk, uh, turnovers or should we talk defense? And unfortunately, Scotty Lewis was, uh, also had some tough moments in the turnover category. And I thought he was, uh, trying to do a little bit too much. He had some, some bad turnovers driving the basketball. Um, and I thought obviously, uh, I think he ended with four turnovers, which is yeah a, a lot, yeah. especially when, um, you know, if you look at Andrew Nemhart as your primary ball handler, you uh, you look at um, Kerry Blackshear as your your kind of second guy, uh, then Trey Mann as your your third guy. I mean, whatever wherever you put then Scotty Lewis in the uh, kind of offensive hierarchy, um, you don't want that guy turning the ball over four times. I mean, honestly, two times might be a lot from your quaternary offensive player. So um, def- <laughs> definitely some kind of growing pain for him. But um, you know, the other thing I'll say is like, and I, I'm not trying to slander New Jersey basketball, but there were some games that I found him in high school where like he, like they, the competition that, that, that Rainey was playing against was not always that good. Um, there was, and I, I do wonder if just, um, you know, it's going to be a little bit of a step up to, uh, and I think it was really interesting to see, you know what, like, like, like Omar Payne is a guy that I was not super high on. I mean, people listen to this podcast. Uh, I, I liked him. I just didn't think he was a guy who was going to be able to come in right away and, uh, and, and be really successful. Um, but it looks like he, I, I was super wrong and he's super ready to be, uh, to be able to do that. And you look at the schedule Montverde plays and uh, you know, he, he, he's playing against all kinds of division one type guys who could be playing in division one already. Um, he sees them at practice, everything like that. Um, maybe that wasn't really the case with Scotty Lewis and he just has some adjustment to, uh, uh, to get his timing up to the level that it's going to be. And, uh, when that's the case, he, he is going to be a great defender again. Yeah, no good stuff. Uh, so I kind of, I mean, we've kind of blended the first and second halves together to some extent. So yeah, know, my I, bad on that one. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. I mean, this is, this is, it's fine. We're just trying stuff out. So, um, White did stick with that, you know, it's a scrimmage rotation for about four minutes, which I thought was interesting. Like, he clearly wanted to see how they reacted, especially when they gave up five points real quick. And, you know, thanks to Omar Payne, they extended it. And then Jason Jatobo had a really nice play where he showed the fact that he has nice hands, that he's good on the catch, which I'm sure was a sigh of relief for most of Gator Nation. <laughs> that, like, he could have back to the basket – catch on the post though he's got a little chris silva before eric spolster on him right now though like he fouls basically every possession um on both ends he's not real quick to get in legal speaking of not getting in legal guarding position um so i think he needs to learn to compete for position without fouling but that's like freshman stuff you'd expect from a three-star center that has no idea how huge he is yet yeah, the fouling was definitely a little bit of an issue. Um, once again, he's a guy that I do wonder if, if Florida is going to try to play. Well, I don't know if they're going to really shape the shape their defense around getting Jason Chobo in the game. But if Florida <laughs> does end up playing a little bit more zone, I wonder if they find find a place for him there. Because, yeah, he was just a little bit late. I, I mean, the one play in the, when he first got in, he just clobbered a guy and looked at the ref yeah. a little bit shocked. And I was like, oh. Uh, so, yeah, he's still got a little bit of learning to do there. But um, <laughs> offensively, I liked what I saw from him. He had good hands. He had one yeah. one nice play that you know, he won't get anything credit for. But um, Andrew Nemhart was was kind of sliding to the hoop, and Jason Jatobo just absolutely sealed the help. 
and it just turned into a wide open Andrew Nemhard layup. And it's, you know, it looks like, oh, look at Andrew Nemhard, he got a wide open layup. But um, it, what, it, what it really was, was uh, it wasn't as much Nemhard as it was Jason Jatoba right. uh, stepping over, using his frame to seal the help. Something that I just absolutely love out of big men does not get talked about enough, but it's just such an important thing for the modern big man. So the fact that he did that makes me, you know, it, it, just the fact that he did that made me think like, hey, he understands his role as a big man. Um, and yeah, he just ha- had good hands. So uh, just, yeah, I would say some positive potential there for sure. And then I know you're going to talk about Trey Mann and maybe we'll dive into Omar Payne a little more when we talk about the second half. My, I wrote a first half hot take. And so here's my first half hot take, which I'll let you co- comment on. And it's funny because we just talked about him on the last podcast. Uh, so you probably know where I'm going with this, but my first hot, hot take is uh, Keate Johnson is really good at basketball. Like, yeah, he, he just does everything. He he's so fundamentally sound. It was great that you brought that up because, man, is that true? Like Florida extends its lead and in so doing, they do it on possessions where Keontae takes back to back charges, gets an offensive rebound on the other end and then makes that little slip and roll pass to, to Blackshear to extend it to, to 10, then hits a three on the next possession. I mean, uh, he just does everything, um, and so maybe, maybe I should have put him on my All SEC team. It's it's a game against Lynn, but you know that's the thing about a game against Lynn is like when you're fundamentally as good as Keontae, you're gonna have more games like that. Yeah, I just thought he was so good. I mean, his jump he had a jump shot early that um, from the corner from his hot spot on the floor. It looked great. Uh, and just like I'm going to just keep talking about his ability to ta- attack closeouts. It's just incredible. And yeah. it was on display. Um, he had that first one where he kind of broke the guy's ankles and then he got fouled. <laughs> he had two easy layups because he attacked. Clo- it's just so interesting to me that like so many people talk about offensive players and their abilities to get in the paint by like, hey, can they use a ball screen? Do they have one on one ability? Um, and then you see just Keontae Johnson, uh, who just can get a get a ball swung to him on the perimeter, head fake one way, go the other, and he's got a layup. Like I, I just think attacking closeouts is just something that is so so important. I think when evaluating players, it's so so important. Um, and I just thought uh, it's just uh, I think well fundamental basketball that's uh, that's Keontae Johnson just does does so well. Um, he had a couple just ridiculous offensive rebounds where he just out jumped everyone. Um, yeah, just. Uh, the pass that he gave to to Blackshear, I, I it, it was incredible. I, I just thought he was uh, he was so good and um, just kind of reinforced everything you and me have been talking about on the podcast. And um, <laughs> other than the fact that we didn't have him on the second team, that um, you know, we'll, we'll we'll hopefully be quite wrong on that one. <laughs> yeah, the Godfather's looking pretty good. So uh, yes. so um, second half, second half. Um, you know, I, I the first thing that I. Uh, Another thing that reinforced a lot of what uh, uh, what I've kind of found in my research, uh, someone uh, tweeted it out during what the time was happening, which made me uh, made me quite happy. But um, Andrew Nemhart has his catch and shoot three frenzy, where he just uh, uh, on a couple plays back to back, just uh, is able to get his feet set. Um, one of his teammates finds him, and he and he drills three pointers from all around the arc. And I think that it was just yeah. another another note that. And then um, coercely, he also then. Uh, a little bit later in the second half uh, when it took a few off the dribble and those predictably did not fall. So um, I think things uh, about Andrew Nemhart's jump shot are just like uh, when I wrote about it earlier in the, in the, the, the summer, the off season um, it, it's looking like that's still true where Andrew Nemhart 
is going to be a, a very good catch and shoot three point shooter off the dribble. Um, maybe not so much, but uh, uh, he's also a guy that, you know, the fact we haven't talked about his game yet, I, I thought he obviously the way he was able to, uh, to lead the team in scoring, but he also had a lot of really good assists. But was there anything um, that like uh, anything new to Andrew Nemhart's game you saw or anything particular you noticed or do you just think he was just yeah, all around good? Uh, I mean, I think he other than and, I, you know, I like the shots he took, too. Like I heard Mark Wise on the call, who I think is excellent. But like I also think. uh you know, I disagreed with Wise. Is kind of, oh, that's a quick shot from Andrew Nimhard. Like, other than one time, I didn't really have any issues with shot selection. Uh, I thought, you know, I thought he took pretty good shots. The one I had an issue with was the one that you already referenced. Um, his jump shot looked a little different to me. Maybe not. Uh, but, you know, not in a bad way. Yeah, I, I was so focused on Andrew, or uh, sorry, on Noah Locke's different jumpers. So uh, I, I'll <laughs> have to go back and look at look at Nemhart's stuff. But I mean, uh, when we're just talking about guys that were clicking, uh, he was just another one that looked uh, looked like he took another step. So I mean, if he takes another step and Keontae Johnson looks even better and uh, the new guys look great, I mean, it, it was really encouraging. But uh, uh, I, another thing uh, that obviously happened in the second half was uh, I, I would say Jordan Allen's biggest. Um, uh, stretch of hitting ridiculous jump shots and, and going off. So uh, that was in the half I covered. So I'm glad, uh, glad I get to bring it up. I, I want to ask you, Neil, did you have any problem in the way that, that Florida got actually talking about Mark wise? That was something that he did not like on the broadcast. He said, you know, Florida has got to be way better at shutting down a hot player. Um, what is your thought on that? Um, you know, I, again, and I really think wise is excellent. And so like it, it it's frustrating sometimes. Actually, I get frustrated on runs some regular season games when he has like SEC duty elsewhere, because <laughs> it's not that he's generally good, but he knows the program so well because um, he's been around Florida basketball forever. But uh, again, I, I disagree with him, and this might be my coaching kind of philosophy on it. But like, I feel like like sometimes you're just gonna uh, like somebody's gonna be hot, and so what you try to do is. You make a decision. Do I help extra on them and make other guys beat me, or do I shut down other options? And, like, I'm a little more of the, like, Billy Donovan school of, of uh, you know, sometimes their their best player is going to get his, and we're going to make sure that two through five don't don't crush us, you know, because of that. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't think you change what you do just because one guy gets hot. Yeah, I mean – what I would say was, uh, was there a single good shot that Jordan Allen took? Like, and I'm not, <laughs> and, and I'm not saying that too. Uh, like, he took a Stefan Moody jumper from the from the logo, <laughs> and I thought that, I thought of you. I was like, oh, it's a, that's that was for Eric. Oh, people missed that story. That was on our podcast. We're gonna tell it to close, so don't don't give oh. it away. <laughs> but uh, uh, so um, yeah, <laughs> I, I just see the shots he took. He had that one follow-away on one foot. <laughs> Um, so I, I, so I'm not, I'm not saying, yeah, sorry. When I say, did he, did he take one good shot? I'm not saying like, I'm not, you're, you're good. Jordan you're Allen was a great player, but yeah. um, what I'm saying is I, I think you look at it from a defensive standpoint and something that people who read my stuff that listen to the podcast, I mean, I, which this might sound weird to some people, but I really do not think you can look at the result of a shot and say, uh, and, and force your game around it. Like, honestly, um, I, I do this with my high school team, which is, which is hilarious, but we sometimes, uh, I, I've made them watch film. And every single thing that's cut from it does not have the shot going in or out. So 
someone who is watching Ooh, our film would like not that. know whether the ball came in or out. And that's both offense and defense because you shouldn't look at whether a shot goes in or out and say, Hey, we defended. If you know, if you don't defend well on a particular possession and someone shoots a three and it, it, it rims out, you did not play good defense. That does not change what you did. And of course, if you hit a bad shot on offense, that doesn't really change your offense. Uh, so uh, I'm really big on, you know, especially over the course of a 30, whatever game season Florida is going to play this year. Yeah. Um, you can't look at these. So, so anyways, I, I, I would say that I, am, uh, I, I had no, and, and the other thing too, is like, you could say like, Hey, you're playing Lynn university. Um, just go double team Jordan Allen and, and see if the other guys can beat you four and three. But, I, but in terms of like prepping for the season, like is, is Florida going to do that against Kyra Lewis in Alabama? Uh, I, I, I doubt it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't think that's a style of play that's really going to help you once you play better opponents. So, so yeah, I, I'm also on the side of like, I, I don't look at Florida giving up that game to join Allen and saying like, wow, what a bad performance. And even Scotty Lewis was, was down on himself. And like I said, there was the one play where I thought he reacted pretty slow um, and it turned into a three for Jordan Allen. Um, but it still was like a, a really good shot that he hit that that's one year probably mostly going to live with so so that was maybe the one that i was a little bit like you know when scotty lewis went under the screen maybe you'd like to see him go over but at the same time i don't know what florida's defensive philosophies are maybe mike white is go under on everything and and scotty lewis did his job but he still got a decent contest so yeah not not super big uh yeah i i wouldn't say i agreed with wise there but also wise is awesome that's not a <laughs> I'm like, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's smart basketball. You and I have disagreed before, so <laughs> it happens. Uh, uh, you know, just a case in point of like other, like, it's not just Eric or me that, that had this. I mean, Chris Beard at the NCAA tournament, one of the first questions he got after they had uh, beat Florida there um, two years ago was, did you ever think about doubling Jalen Hudson <laughs> who had, what, 23 points, about half of which were, like, step-back three-pointers with a defender, like, two feet from him. And, you know, Beard was like, what what happens if I do that? They they rotate the ball to Chioza, and then Kayvon Allen gets an open three. You know, so you have to be, like, cognizant of that, that that teams, you know, teams are going to adjust to your adjustment. So sometimes it's best just to continue to do what you do well. Yeah, I, I agree with that. The, the, um, yeah, shout, shout out to Jordan Allen. He was awesome. And uh, uh, yeah, you'll have to go see him in Boca sometime just uh, uh, just as a reminder of this uh, monumental uh, uh, performance he just put on the O-Dome. But um, the other thing I'll point out too, if I were to say one thing, um, him hitting those ridiculous shots, a lot of them were still off the catch. And it's just another um, kind of analytic thing to show just how much better people shoot off the catch than off the yeah. table. Like, yeah. Because he was... Uh, he was deep on a few of those he was you know fading away a little bit but it, it, so if you don't take a bounce um shooters percentage always goes up and uh yeah it's just it was a so it was a little bit of an interesting note of like man he's hitting ridiculous shots but he found a way to still do it off the catch so yeah uh but he made yeah. some jalen he made some jalen hudson jumpers though like yeah that's absolutely i mean he's got one more year of eligibility so i'll be interested to see what after this one so i'll be interested to see where we see him next but um another thing that was a potential um uh, some people were uh, other than the defense at times, other than the turnovers, uh, one thing that bothered a couple other people was the uh, uh, the amount of offensive rebounds Florida gave up. So, do yep. you have any takes on uh, on that one? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, some of them were uh, guys found bodies and the ball just uh, just kind of bounced away from them. A little bit of bad luck. 
Uh, some of them was, uh, yeah, like there's a couple times where like Keontae Johnson, who's proven to be an excellent defender, he had a body. He was um, boxing out a guy perfectly and the ball went to like the one place where his mega vert and length couldn't get to the ball, just went beyond his fingertips and they got the basketball. So um, that's another thing that I don't think you can be super... Um, <laughs> just like I talked before about how it's looking at the shot, whether the shot went in or out as whether or not you played good offense or defense. I think that's sometimes the case with rebounding where you can't just look at the, um, the results and say like, Hey, Florida gave up a lot of offensive rebounds. Um, they were battery defensively rebounding. Um, I actually thought they did a decent job, but I do understand that, you know, Florida has not been a good defensive rebounding team of the last couple of years. So they don't really get the benefit of the doubt I would say from fans. And uh, when it comes to, just the number of offensive rebounds given up. So, uh, but I would say, yeah, watching it back again for the second time. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't really know if I, if I was particularly disappointed with that effort. And yeah, I just don't think you can look at the total point or total, total number of, uh, of offensive rebounds from Lynn and say like, Hey, Florida did a bad job there. Yeah. I mean, look, I, the other thing I haven't mentioned yet, and you know, that's because Eric and I don't often talk, we don't talk too many like intangible things on this podcast because <laughs> When you're not in a locker room, it's kind of hard to know. But I'll say this. Objectively, Florida is young, save Kerry Blackshear, although I don't think they're as young as the media is making them out to be because they have three sophomores that started a lot of games. Uh, they're also 18- to 22-year-old kids who are up 31 points with 17 minutes to go. And a lot of their rebounding issues kind of came after that. So I don't want to – again – not going to get too into the, well, they clearly lost focus. But, like, it is human nature if you're ahead by 31 points to relax a little bit. What it's, you're saying is it wasn't the case of one team wanting it more? That is what, that's, what I'm, <laughs> that's what I'm suggesting, Eric. I'm <laughs> suggesting that when you're ahead by 31 points, <laughs> you might not uh, box out as well. You might not lay out to, to get that finger on that off. You know what I mean? So I think that, and I, I think that's normal. I mean, they're ahead by 31 points. <laughs> yeah. I, it, it, I, no, I, I definitely knew we had to talk about it because the people were asking, but I, I, we'll, we'll see once the, once the real game started, if it becomes yeah. a trend, uh, we will absolutely talk about it. But right now, uh, one game, uh, I'm not too, uh, not too <laughs> concerned. I also did go back and look at their numbers from, from last year for Lynn university. And they are a team that um, attacks the glass a lot. Um, they so uh, just to kind of see like, hey, is this like an anomaly for them to have a good offensive rebounding game? And uh, uh, yeah, they actually, they, they offensive rebounded a ton last year. Obviously they are, and they have good size for a division two school. Like they didn't look, you know, super diminutive against Florida. So um, yeah, no, we'll, uh, we'll see what happens. But um, one more thing, one more player. I mean, I feel like we've gone right up and down the roster uh, for players who play ball for the Gators, but uh, especially in the second half, I thought, uh, I thought that Omar Payne was really, really good. Yeah. Um, he had two really big block shots, which you're just probably not going to get from anyone else on the, on the roster. Just the, the the ability he had to get to balls um, was, uh, dare I say, Kavarius Hayes-y. So that was uh, really good to see. Um, he had some really good screens. He attacked the offensive glass and had, had a couple putbacks. Uh, just a really impressive game from him. Uh, the minutes he played uh, pointed to something that I think you and me expect, that he will get a good uh, some good – well, actually – this is another interesting note. I, I really thought that when he got in the game, he would be a little bit more of maybe the four and, you know, Kerry uh, Blackshear would be the five. But really it was uh, it was Omar Payne playing the five, especially, well, uh, offensively for sure. 
um, where Kerry Blackshear played the four, uh, the four. And I actually think that that's really wise. I wrote about it at Gator Country this morning. Um, that's up. But uh, just I, I thought it was really interesting that um, by playing Omar Payne at the five, even defensively, you also kept him closer to the rim where he could be a rim protector uh, because rim protecting is, is not Kerry Blackshear's uh, strong suit. If there's one hole to his game, uh, it's rim protecting. And, uh, I, but I just really, really liked how that front court looked with Kerry Blackshear and Omar Payne. Yeah, no, it was, uh, it was pretty good. Um, I think that, you know, a lot of room to grow. Um, a lot of room to hope that dudes don't hit, you know, fade away three pointers with one leg in the air. Scotty Lewis said, uh, <laughs> I think, um, you know, that that's kind of where that is. We didn't, you didn't talk about Trey Mann, So I'm going to make you, cause we did go up and down the roster. So mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to request, uh, that you kind of close our wrap of this game with, with some thoughts on Trey Mann's performance four of eight from the field. Uh, I thought one of his shots was – there's a point I agreed with Mark Wise with. There was like 24 seconds left in the shot clock, and he went into the lane and took a floater, and I like threw something almost. Um, but it went in. It went in. <laughs> I had the like, don't do that, throw something coach reaction. Um, but otherwise, I, that guy is like creative, and, and uh, man, he's going to be fun to watch. He was so creative, and I, I think that he almost – like played better offensively even than um, than the numbers indicated because he even had a couple plays where he just went and burned a guy off the dribble and he got fouled really quickly because yeah. uh, you know the defender took a wise foul so uh, which is a smart thing to do hey go make Florida inbound the basketball and no came up a layup but uh, it just really showed how just uh, how elusive Trey Mann is off the dribble uh, and his jump shot you know looked so nicely so looked so nice it comes yeah, out of his hand pretty. so nicely it's yeah, pretty it's, it's a really easy release just like I was talking about from uh, from Noah Locke. Uh, Trey Mann just shoots the ball effortlessly, and obviously that's huge. Uh, but uh, to have a creator like that, oh, it's just so nice. Florida has not really had that guy other than, um, you know, Jalen Hudson two years ago when he was uh, uh, someone who could make these shots off the dribble. But uh, just, yeah, I, I was just very encouraged by Trey Mann's play. And uh, his floater was interesting, too, because, I mean, people on this podcast know my uh, <laughs> know my takes <laughs> on, on floaters. Actually, uh, I was going to say this, uh, I, yeah, even, uh, I forget his last name, but Tanner, one of our listeners, uh, uh, the Florida Gators put up uh, their Instagram, put up, uh, or, or their Twitter, just put up a, uh, uh, this like little like Noah Locke video, and it had a couple floaters from Noah Locke, and he tagged me, and it's saying they put it in just to spite me, and I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so Trey Mann, I mean, he, he does have some really nice, you know, he's just got such good touch. So it'll be interesting to see what he does with with kind of floaters because it is something he looks to go to uh, watching what he did in in high school. He does love getting in the lane and and uh, doing those floaters. So I mean, hey, we'll uh, we'll see. That'll be something to watch because if he suddenly starts hitting like a really high percentage of floaters this year, um, you know, people are going to be pretty quick to uh, uh, to laugh at me, and you are totally going to be allowed to because uh, people know my my thoughts on that. But that'll be something to watch. But uh, I do think to see the. Um, he also had some some nice finish at the rim, just because like he really is quite long. Uh, you look at him, and just because of how like thin he is, sometimes I I think you don't realize how like he yeah, that he is a tall guard. He's pretty long, and I, I thought he showed it with his finishes. So uh, it is actually a shame that it got to this point without us talking about him, and 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 you had to request it because uh, he he was super good. He was one of the best skaters, but uh, just on a night where a lot of guys look good, he uh, unfortunately got pushed to this point of the podcast. So, uh, and we had Sarah in Tampa asked that we uh, do a stat line of the game, like maybe like the 
the stat line could be just a player's line, could be a statistic that we felt like okay. defined that game. And I thought it was such an awesome idea that we'll do it. So for me, this is lazy, but I'm going with uh, Keontae Johnson's stat line. <laughs> 12 points, 6 rebounds, 4 assists, 2 charges taken in 23 minutes. Um, <laughs> that's ridiculous. And uh, yeah, the guy's good. He's good. This is like this. This is like a Keontae Johnson Stan podcast. Now. I, I would actually say, like, if I like to, like, he would definitely be the player that I stand the most. Like, if I were to, like, you know, once, like, you know, if uh, if somehow magically things are pushed forward and we're allowed to buy players' jerseys uh, this year, uh, we don't have to talk about that. But uh, if that legislation goes through and somehow it magically gets pushed forward till now. Um, I, I think Keontae Johnson's the jersey I, I, I would be getting. I just, uh, I just a huge fan of his game, as uh, as people know, and, and I would definitely say he had the uh, the best individual stat line of the game, with uh, probably a little bit of a uh, with Andrew Nemhart close behind, just because of his points and assists. But uh, like you said, the uh, the assist that Keontae Johnson added to also rebounding, scoring, and taking charges, uh, he was definitely the individual player of the game. Yep, yep, absolutely. Uh, so the years. The Gators turn their sights to uh, North Florida. The Ospreys in the season opener. Uh, a couple couple thoughts on the Ospreys. Um, speaking of guys that play like Keontae Johnson, uh, Waji Damunu, the guy who tested the NBA waters, six foot eight, 200 pound uh, forward, was a first-team All-Atlantic Sun Conference player. He was the Atlantic Sun Defensive Player of the Year. Very active hands defensively. Uh, shoots the ball better than you think. Um, 37% on three-pointers last year on about a Kerry Blackshear number of attempts. Uh, plus rebounder. Probably like the only guy they had. Now, they returned four starters, Eric. Uh, but I think Amuno's the, the guy that you see that you're like, it totally wouldn't stun me if he's like Kendrick Nunn and like starting in the NBA next year because he's that kind of athlete and player defensively. Yeah, they could have been really good this year if they returned their fifth starter, and that's Noah Horsler. Um, yeah, uh, you know, since Florida has played uh, uh, North Florida, you know, a lot these last years, I've I've grown to very much love Noah Horsler, and I saw when he transferred out of North Florida. Um, I was like, oh, that's a big hit to them. But he's a guy that has torched the Gators. He's like this. He's only like six, seven, but he's pretty strong. But, you know, especially last year, but the year before prior, uh, when a lot of like, hey, Florida's giving up career games to big men. Uh, Noah Horschler was one of them. But uh, do you know where Noah, Noah Horschler uh, transferred to? Probably somebody that that somewhere where he can terrorize Florida, I'm sure. He went to Providence. So yeah. uh, we're going to see him again. I thought it was just so funny. I'm like, oh, we're not going to see Noah Horschler play. Um, I really, when he was transferring out, I'm like, oh, I really like watching him play, but also he dices up the Gators for like 16 and 10 every time that they play. Uh, but then I saw he went to Providence, but that also speaks to obviously how good of a player he is that he was able to, uh, uh, to graduate transfer there. And, uh, uh I think he'll play a good role for them, but, um, yeah, really good shooting team. Uh, like you said, and, and with that many returners, I, I think they're going to be, uh, like, this is not going to be quite a cupcake. I think that their preseason no. 10 palm of, of one Let's see what their preseason Ken Palm is. Uh, 184. So that's, uh, you know, like, that's a good mid-major team. I think that's uh, just kind of like, um, as a bit of a reference point, that would be, uh, like, that would be like, you know, that's higher than LaSalle, who uh, Florida played a tough game with last year. 
Yeah. Um, so that's uh, that's higher than uh, that's higher than Mercer, who Florida played an eight point game with. So it's it's a team in that kind of range. And in the first game of the season, um, yeah, you never know what can happen. But North Florida is a team that could really torture you from three if you're not paying too much attention. And uh, but yeah, I just uh, gonna be a, gonna be a good starter for sure. Yeah, they're fun. I like the way that they play. Um, for for that like level of basketball, I think it's it's pretty good. I think they can challenge Liberty in the Atlantic Sun, and and I think really if you paid attention to the Atlantic Sun late in the season last year, which probably one to two to three listeners that aren't us might have done, um, <laughs> the uh, the Ospreys won seven in a row, six yeah six in a row before they lost to Liberty in the conference tournament semifinals. So they kind of started last year with John Driscoll and all those guys trying to figure out what they were. And by the end of the season, you know, that was a pretty good basketball team. And, and you know, by the way, they replaced Horschel with Ezekiel Balligan, who was a really, really one of the best players on the Citadel and comes in as a grad transfer. Uh, and I think – Basically, the point I'm making is they're coming to Gainesville starting five seniors, one of whom is a pro, I think. So, uh, you know, it's definitely not Marshall, who Florida will play later in the year, who I think is is bad. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know about that grad transfer, but that's uh, that's interesting, too, because, I mean, North, North Florida plays uh, plays quite fast. Uh, the Citadel plays, like, faster than anyone. So, uh, so that guy's gonna be able to. He's gonna be used to the pace that North Florida plays at. And uh, there's, yeah, that's it's just very rare to see a team with five seniors. That's actually pretty cool. And um, but yeah, that's uh, those are the teams that can be pretty, uh, pretty scary in those like first game of the season type scenarios when uh, uh, they've got more experience than you. So that'll be a. It, it should be fun though, just because of like you said, the pace that North Florida plays at, the yeah. style they play, and a Florida team that's looking a little more, uh, more aesthetically pleasing to watch. So. Um, yeah, that'll be a uh, you know I'm certainly looking forward to it. SEC Network November fifth for that game. So um, that's it, man. We're pretty pumped to to get that season started. Eric and I are gonna we're gonna play some rapid fire national landscape real quick and then uh, get out of y'all's hair. But um, I guess I'm gonna let you know what. In fact, we're kind of modifying this on the fly. This is another one of these shows where we figured we'd talk about the game and I didn't send out anything beyond that. So let me just roll with uh, your favorite mid-major team preseason. Oh, my favorite mid-major team preseason. Um, I would say, you know what? Like, well, this would be a soft answer, um, but I think oh. it would be uh, my soft answer would be Utah State. But the, I say soft just because um, I would say That's they're probably you know, they're the highest they're the highest ranked. Um, I would say, and the other one I would say that I really like is, is a team that I've obviously talked about on this podcast, and that is the team that will take down uh, the University of Miami Hurricanes, and yeah. that's Missouri State. Uh, just with their transfers, uh, I, I think that they just like instantly built a team that's going to end up winning their conference, make the NCAA tournament. So, uh, And I kind of like how they play, too, where they've got uh, you know, this Juco Gage Prim who transferred there, who is kind of a... A traditional low post player who I, I, you know, I'm someone who still really enjoys watching the traditional low post kind of guys go to work. So uh, I, I'm a fan of the way that they're, uh, they're going to play. I'm a fan of their talent. And uh, so, I, so I'll say Missouri state. <laughs> nice. I like that answer. I'm going to go with Harvard hmm. uh, team. I think can make the sweet 16. Uh, I know that's pretty, that's a pretty hot take, but they returned Seth towns from an injury. I think player of the year. 
Uh, they returned Bryce Aiken, another guy that is healthy, averaged 23 points a game last season. Uh, they have seven seniors, which, man, that's that's a lot. Uh, they just got – I really feel like they have good roster balance. You know, they've got – they actually have more wings than Florida. Uh, they have a 6'8 wing named uh, Danilo Juricic. Canadian. Uh, yeah, Canadian. <laughs> yeah, from the U19 Canadian team that, that was, like, really, really good in that competition. Um and then they have a six-seven wing named Noah Kirkwood, who is the Ivy League newcomer of the year. Canadian. Is he? Okay, he is. I, I've um, got those are the only two Canadians on that team. And then I'm uh, I'm not like a stand for Tommy Amaker, but I think that that's a perfect job for him. And the other thing he's done is recruited Harvard, which uh, you know it's funny. I I listened to Basketball and Beyond with Mike Shesky on SiriusXM, and Mike had Tommy on last season, and Mike. And Tommy Amaker was telling the story about how Mike Krzyzewski told him, you should go to Harvard and you should try to recruit there. You know, and I think what he meant was, like, you should go after, occasionally you should find a four or five star player that might fit the mold and be like, hey, come here. You can get a Harvard degree. And so yeah. a guy that they, they brought in is uh, Chris Ledlam, who is another wing, 6'6", who had offers from uh, – all kinds of places, including Tennessee, Georgetown, um, North Carolina State, picked Harvard. So, man, I, I just think this is a really good team, and, and they're the team that I'll find ways to watch. Yeah, well, Noah, Noah Kirkwood, um, who I didn't shadow just because he's Canadian, but he was, a, he was like 75th in the class. So, I mean, he's a, he's, a, uh, he's a top 100 player, which the thought of a top 100 player being, you know, at Harvard is, is, is pretty crazy. Yeah, um, yeah, like you said, Led, like Ledlam, and then they've also got like like their team. I would say is mostly like three star players, um, which is like once again, if you look at a team that um, has mostly three star talents, um, but are like there's like seven seniors, like that is a team that is the mid major that goes on the run to the to the Sweet Sixteen, like you said. So um, I, I know it's, it's going to be hard for people to like look at Harvard. The other thing too is that the Ivy League is better than people think. Princeton is another team with multiple top one hundred players on it. Really? Uh, and, and yeah, and Penn is looking good this year. I, Yale is looking. There's also one of the one of the top 100 players is uh, Canadian Jalen Llewellyn. So uh, okay. I'm aware of him. But so they, yeah, but so Princeton has a few top 100 players. So the other thing too is like I bet that Harvard is going to lose a couple of games in conference. And Pete, so this is how I this is how I project Harvard season going. Um, they're going to get some big wins in the non-conference. People are going to say like, hey, is this this year's Loyola Chicago? Um, then they're going to go to conference and they're going to lose to like. Penn and lose to Princeton and people are going to be like, Oh no, they're not actually that good. Um, but they actually are good. Um, they just actually play in a league that's better than a lot of people think. So, uh, then people are going to be off Harvard and they're probably going to get underseated, And then they're going to go on a run in the NCAA tournament. That is my, uh, that is my Harvard prediction for the year. Uh, but yeah, that's a really good choice as, as one of the best mid majors. Cause their, their talent is just so much higher than, than you would expect from someone in that league or even like their talent would be, higher than like a lot of Atlantic 10 teams and a lot of mountain West teams. Like that's, so that's just kind of frames things as well. And they've got a billion seniors. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, they're, they're good. And I, I like the Missouri state pick as well. So uh, not really that surprising for me. Let's do, let's do our favorite non-conference Florida trip. Cause I think we, we talked about that in our uh, closed door podcast. So let's, let's bring that one back. 
your favorite non-conference matchup that the Gators have. Okay. Um, I, I think I would say uh, I would say UConn just because I think that UConn is uh, – I know they haven't been great recently, but I still think they have such good – uh, they have such good kind of uh, they, their fan base is uh, always comes and really supports the team. And I think things are going to be really exciting for them. This is their last year in their league before they go back to the Big East, which is uh, probably where they belong. Um, it's obviously going to be a chance for Scotty Lewis to play close to home. And, yeah. Uh, that, yeah. I think that that's probably the one on the schedule that uh, kind of the road game that I think I, I'm most excited to watch. So, so mine is uh, going to be Butler. And Florida's trip to uh, to Hinkle. Um, hopefully, the Gators football team will be in the SEC championship that day, so I can just strap in for like six hours of Gators. Um, <laughs> yeah, no. uh, I don't know. Like, I don't know how good Butler's going to be. Quite honestly, um, it's kind of a big year for Lavelle Jordan there. I think. I think people were really disappointed in in what happened up there last year. I thought they had a better roster than they played. Um, you know, we all know that neither Eric and I thought much of Joey Brunk, but I really felt like you should get more out of Paul Jorgensen than they did. And, and certainly, uh, you know, everybody likes Kamar Baldwin, who's back as a senior. Um, but November 4th, I know what I'll be doing. I'll be watching Hoosiers because that's what I do the night before every college basketball season begins. <laughs> and uh, if you uh, are a nerd like me and reel into that film, then uh, you know that, that Hinkle is where the – the state championship is played. And so when I make the pilgrimage up to Hinkle, um, I'm really looking forward to that. And, and uh, I don't, I doubt that they'll let me measure the basket, but I bet it's 10 feet. <laughs> yeah, that's a good answer for sure. And that's another team that has a really good fan base that really supports their team. Um, I was half expecting you to say just any of the Charleston classic games. Cause I hear that that is a, a, a beautiful part of the country. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's going to be a few good uh, for people that are able to see road games. There's going to be some, uh, a few really good options. Yeah, Florida has a, a really good non-conference schedule. Very challenging. Once again, let's do two more. We'll do this one, and then we'll do Final Fours um, with the normal disclaimer, and then we're going to let Eric close the podcast with a fun story. Uh, <laughs> the National Player of the Year will be – go. I think Jordan Nuara from uh, from Louisville. That's just like – like I didn't – I don't have to think about that one just because – uh, I think that he, I think Louisville's really good. I think he's a feature piece there. Um, he plays a premium position uh, on the wing. Um, I, I also think if you're looking at, um, like if you're really like someone who is a hardcore better looking for like an angle of how a player could, uh, could win this award. I also look at the fact that the ACC is, is really weak at the bottom of their league. And Jordan Noir is going to have chances to just like put up monster point totals against those teams that are also yeah. pad, pad his counting stats. But uh, I think Louisville's going to be good. I think they're a top five team. So I think that they're going to be, um, they're, yeah, they're going to be a top five team in the uh, one seed kind of mix. And it's going to be very clear that Jordan Noir is their best player. Uh, so I, I just think things are set up well for him to, uh, to win this award. Do you, have a, do you have a sleeper? A sleeper? Uh, ooh. That's a great question. I'm going to would... which is really boring. So let's do your sleeper. Oh man, that's much tougher than the. Uh, uh, if I were to, oh, if I were to, if I were to go deep sleeper, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go healthy Killian Tilly on Gonzaga. Ooh, um, if I if I were to, because that's another team that I feel like. Uh, like I think I like Gonzaga a lot more than a lot of people, and uh, 
Uh, people are a little bit down on them just with their kind of changeover in talent. Uh, Killian Tilly is a player I thought was just so good when he was healthy. Um, the health part has been the, the issue with him. Uh, but as a kind of really skilled big man who can shoot a lot of threes or uh, score off a dribble, um, I, I think he's really good. So I think if Gonzaga surprises people and is better than they think, um, they're like a top 10 team. And yeah, if he's clearly their best player. Um, yeah, it might be a little bit of a stretch for that, for him to, to kind of be in the mix for this award. But you asked for a sleeper, so I'll, I'll give you Killian Tilly. Yeah, no, I like it. And I feel like you have to play in a premier program to win this award. Like, that is, it, doesn't, yeah. it doesn't have to be a blue blood, but it's got, like, like Jaron Cumberland is a guy I like a lot, but I don't think he can be National Player of the Year because he plays for Cincinnati. And they're, like, not quite good enough for you to, like, win National Player of the Year. Right? Whereas, like, Louisville and Gonzaga are. I should have said Bryce Aiken for a for a real deep. But hey, if Harvard if Harvard's a top twenty five team and he's scoring like twenty six points a game, which he could, um, yeah, the the buzz for him for him from like guys like you and me that are like just love that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, I, I that that would be a good deep sleeper. Uh, but again, like you said, uh, historically you've got to be either a, you know a big power five conference player or. Um, yeah, or just like go, you know, super crazy with and just blow everyone out of the water with um, counting stats. But uh, it, it is tough for guys like you said, like you said, Jerron Cumberland. I just unfortunately history of the award and the way people vote would make it would make how it tough. But it is a good name to bring up as someone who's uh, just an excellent player. So for me, my sleeper uh, is going to be because because I know you asked is going to be um, Anthony Cowan. From Maryland, and I know there are people that think Jalen Smith is better, and those people are allowed to be wrong. That's fine. Um, you know, I, I I just like the way that that Callen does like everything that on both sides of the floor, uh, and and I think that his offense will be a little better when they're not playing through Bruno Fernando. Yeah, they uh, they obviously had the big men last year that were just uh, that really dominated things, and for good reason. I mean. Uh, Fernando was a good player that you have to kind of play through, but uh, I, I would definitely say Anthony Cowan's the better player out of that duo. And also, um, you know, it's just going to be easier for a, for a guard to, uh, to kind of take control of a game than, uh, uh, than a big man like Jalen Smith. So, uh, but yeah, Cowan's just an excellent passer. Uh, someone who's uh, pretty crafty. He can get in the paint pretty well. And uh, I, I do think Maryland's going to be really good. Like a lot of people do. So uh, once again, best player from a team that, you know, maybe surprises people, they'll be in the mix. So I'd say Cowan's a good, that, that's a good sleeper for sure. I, I don't think he's on anyone's preseason kind of watch for that, but he could definitely get there. Yeah, no. And I mean, like Devin Dotson would be a better sleeper because he plays for Kansas. And I know I just said you have to be at a premier program. But then again, I mean, Maryland won a national title this century. So, like, it's not like – I don't feel like people sleep on Maryland as much uh, and certainly shouldn't this season. So let me get let me get a final four, Eric. Okay, my final four um, is going to be as I – wind up and try to remember what i said in the in a past podcast but i would say i would say that uh for i think florida's in there so florida's going to be in there uh my player of the year uh jordan wara led louisville i put them in that mix uh and then i am gonna go ooh, hmm. i am then gonna go baylor and then i'm also going to say i'm gonna round it out with north carolina that would be my my four so not super, uh, not super out there for sure. But um, I'm not big on the. Uh, well, I'll let you give uh, before I make comments on teams I didn't put in my final four. I'll let you give yours. Okay, so um, let's get really boring. 
with with I I am going Florida also. Uh, I just you know and you know we're homers. You're gonna say oh Florida basketball or just pick Florida to go to the Final Four. There's probably nothing we can say on the airtime that would convince you that that is that other otherwise. Uh, but I really like the team that Florida has built, and I think um, I you know all these things are contingent on being healthy. But if healthy. You know, again, I mean, we're talking. We just spent a lot of time talking about how Keontae Johnson is sensational. There's scenarios where he's the third or fourth best player on the team, right? So that's a really good roster, and I like them. Um, I'm going Michigan State, uh, cop out probably, but I trust Cassius Winston. My heart aches for Josh Langford. I hope that that gets sorted out uh, and that he's, you know, healthy and can go. Um, I really like that Maryland team, so that's kind of one that probably is a little off the radar for people. But I feel like you just can't pick, like, the top five. You know, like, that's never how it works. And Maryland is a team that I that I trust quite a bit. And then I was torn on my fourth one. And it's not that Eric and I have to agree all the time, but I'm going to go with Jordan Nawara and Louisville over Kentucky. Kentucky hasn't been to the Final Four since 2015. I like Kentucky's balance, Eric. I don't trust them in the post enough to say Final Four. The thing, yeah, the thing about like Kentucky even is like, like you said, you're not sold on their front court, but I'm not really sold on their back court either. <laughs> I think Florida's better, but um, just because like, hey, if it's a, uh, like, I really think Tyrese Maxey is going to score the ball really well, but he is unproven. So you look at like, hey, who's going to get a big bucket for them in the NCAA tournament? Is it going to be Ashton Hagens? I, I would say probably not. So uh, that is why Kentucky's not on there for me. And, uh, you know, Kansas is kind of the same thing. I think that uh, Devin Dodson is a, is a really good player, but I think as an individual scorer, he's not as, as good as maybe some perception is. And uh, they really do have the athletes in the front court to uh, to make a good run. And I think they will be in that mix for the Final Four. But uh, they just don't quite have the scoring punch that, uh, that I needed to get them there. And uh, that kind of covers the top teams that – uh, kind of in the AP poll and stuff that you and me just like didn't didn't have in our in our groups. Yeah, one other one I wanted to mention real quick, and because I took Maryland, so people are going to be like, you know, you really like that team out of the Big Ten, and another team I really like is Baylor, and it wouldn't stun me if they kind of play that Maryland role to come out of nowhere and and make the Final Four. We all trust Scott Drew, um, especially in March. I think that that you know he finds ways to win games. Uh, I know they lost King McClure, but honestly, I don't want to say addition by subtraction because I like King McClure. But I, I like this roster better, Eric, and wouldn't be stunned if that happened. Yeah, that's why they're in my kind of list. I think they've got some good scoring with a healthy Tristan Clark, and they've always been good under under Drew. So uh, I also think that they rebound the ball really well, led by yeah. Keontae Johnson, clone Mark Vital. So I, I think they're just going <laughs> to uh, be a team that scores the ball well, uh, defends well, and controls the glass. And you run into some teams that uh, that like I just don't think Baylor is going to have like an off night if that makes sense like they're not boom or bust. Uh, yeah, so I think that they're just going to uh, probably uh, end up. Uh, you know, I think they'll be like a four or a five seed, but I think they'll end up taking taking down some higher seeds that uh, their best player has a cold night or uh, their team struggles with turnovers against Baylor's zone. Uh, so that's why I'd Baylor is my one kind of like outside the top ten kind of Final Four pick. I like it. I like it. So that's uh, that's our show, Save Eric Sign-Off, which is going to include an excellent story that probably 
Jordan Allen brought up some memories of. <laughs> yeah, so uh, uh, the story I told on our podcast that ended up being lost, our, our, our you know, secret lost podcast that's, uh, that is nowhere to be found. But um, uh, so what happened, I was, uh, I, something came up about the, uh, Billy Donovan's last year at Florida. And uh, I, I don't even remember how we got there. but They weren't very was, uh, good. Yeah, I think we might have been talking about how they weren't very good. but uh, uh, Or it might have been Ole Miss guards and how they've had some good ones. But anyways, yeah. point being, it came up with the story of the first time I ever went to Gainesville from my, uh, my hometown of Edmonton, Alberta, in Western Canada. Uh, so what happened was, you know, Florida goes to their Final Four in 2014. And then 2015, preseason poll, uh, they get ranked in the top 10. And... Uh, so, you know, early in the season, I was like, you know what, this is going to be the year that I, that I really should go down to Florida and, and, and watch a game. So I uh, uh, was, you know, really into music, had this guitar that was nice. I sold it so I could buy flights and, uh, and tickets. So uh, that was kind of early in the season, right when the season started, I did that, not knowing that Florida was going to be uh, quite bad. Uh, my trip was booked for February. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so anyways, uh, as I see Florida season not going well, I've still got my flights booked. I'm still super pumped. So um, in February, when Florida is like so far out of the NCAA tournament race, so far out of the picture, um, I head down to Florida. I, uh, I, I fly into Orlando. I, I walked for like two hours to get to a bus stop so that I could jump on a bus to go to Gainesville. Uh, I, I go to Gainesville. It's like 45 degrees, which felt like snow was about to fall. Um, it was so cold in Florida, which I like, you know, here is not really a thing usually, even in February. Um, I, I go into the game, um, uh, Michael Frazier, so you know who I'm uh, really looking forward to see. He decides to sit it out with a sore ankle. Uh, the uh, announced attendance was like 2,500 people, which like I'm pretty sure it was less. Um, I, I, <laughs> to be honest, like there was no one in the second level uh, whatsoever. Uh Florida was kind of there's this like kind of grimy game where no one was really hitting shots. Uh, both teams sat in a zone and uh, just let other teams let each other trade contested jump shots. But Florida had the lead for most of it. Uh, and then with uh, there was like 32 seconds left on the clock. Florida was up one. And uh, that was back in the 35 second uh, shot clock. So uh, Stefan Moody, Ole Miss is like five foot ten guard. He got the ball and he just dribbled it out for like 30 seconds. And then from the edge of the Gator logo. Uh, it just switched to three to win the game. And, uh, that, yeah, that was my first, uh, then I walked back like from the O-Dome, like an hour to where the bus picked up, jumped on a bus, got back to Orlando and, uh, yeah, ended up going home. So, uh, that was my first ever Gators game was, uh, was that experience. So, uh, glad to share that experience from you. And yes, Jordan Allen was hitting some edge of the Gator logo, Stefan Moody style shots. And that was the reference that Neil made. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, so Florida basketball is working on making sure we can basketball uh, allowable. Get Eric back. So <laughs> um, anyway, uh, thanks for listening, guys. And the next time you hear from Eric and I, you'll be hearing us break down uh, Gator victory over UNF. So bye-bye, everybody. <laughs>